Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the worlds of permaculture, natural building, and regenerative living as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we all share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I have a great session for you in this week's episode, so let's jump right in. Are you looking for the best resources to help you build a regenerative lifestyle? New Society Publishers has been a leader in sustainable publishing for over 30 years. They publish good news and solutions for individuals and organizations seeking to change their lives so that they may change the world for the better. Their company mandate goes far beyond the single bottom line of profit. They care deeply not only about what they publish, but also how they do business. They believe in the authors that they take on and the works that they bring to the marketplace. From sustainable living to progressive parenting, New Society Publishers has the books you need to help build a better world. Buy your print and e-books online at www.newsociety.com or at fine bookstores near you. Hey everybody and welcome to a really unique episode that I've got for you today. We actually got to speak to two experts in the field who happen to be good friends of Neil Hegarty. So Neil, why don't you tell us uh, who we get to speak to today and what they're all about. Yeah, I had a great time today talking to my good friends Michelle Sultan and Juliana Gobatta. Um, they're both passionate permaculturists, but from different backgrounds. Juliana's a landscape architect and agroecologist, and Michelle focuses kind of on project management, economics, and comes from a sociology background. Um, and they're both really passionate about development issues and, um, and ecology in Guatemala. So they got together and formed this really interesting company, which distributes organ- the produce of organic producers to people in Guatemala City and Antigua. Nice. It's called La Botica Verde. And tell me a little bit about what y'all got to talk about in this interview. Yeah, well, firstly, they talked about like what La Botica Verde is, which actually kind of means the green pharmacy would be like a close description because they're really passionate about this idea that your food is your medicine and your medicine is your food but we really covered a wide range of topics because the girls have such diverse and interesting backgrounds that they really link what they're doing very much to the entire global movement and very much to the kind of issues the global issues that affect uh, Guatemala on a on a micro level yeah, you guys got to cover a very broad range of topics here and even touched on some of the social political issues that make a business like this and, and the movement towards regenerative agriculture somewhat of a hurdle here in this country. So why don't we just jump right into the interview and hear what they've got to say? Yeah, let's do it. Enjoy. Hey, Michelle and Julie, thanks so much for joining me today. Hi, Neil. How are you? Really good. How are you doing? We're doing great. Yeah, we're really happy to be getting a chance to chat with you guys about all these things that we both love so much. <laughs> yeah, I'm super excited. Um, <laughs> it's great to be interviewing my two uh, two of my best friends here in Guatemala and two women that I have a huge amount of um, respect for. So, look, I've got loads that I want to talk to you guys about. So how about we just get right into it? Let's do it. All right, so... Why don't you start by telling me a little bit about yourselves, um, what your backgrounds are, sort of how you got into permaculture, agroecology, uh, the ecological movement in general. 
Okay. <laughs> um, well, my name is Michelle, and I my background is in sociology, Latin American studies, and business. That's what I studied in school. But you could say that my passion for agriculture started about five years ago when um, when I was working in international development in Guatemala, and I didn't understand how in a country that has such fertile soils and over 50% of the population engaged in agriculture in some way, how we could have at that time the worst chronic malnutrition index in the Western Hemisphere. And um, in my quest for trying to understand that um, that paradox, I, I started learning more about agriculture and um, different ways of growing food, um, just to try to understand like what exactly of the system leading to to these problems. Um, and it was while I was doing that that I started. I put a seed on the ground. You know, I had never grown anything in my life, and and from there came this love for for agriculture. And later on in life, I found out about permaculture as a as a really cool way to design systems that are efficient and that could really uh, help in this problem that, that we have with malnutrition. So that's a little bit about me. I'll pass it off to Julie now. All right. Thank you. My passion for agriculture really started at an early age because I grew up in a, in a small town and we were always outdoors and in trees and being really close to nature and then I, I had the great opportunity to study at UC Santa Cruz which has an amazing program for sustainable agriculture and Steve Gleesman is one of the professors there and he was such a phenomenal mentor and really showed us how creatively we can solve so so many things in terms of of productivity and of using ecosystems and and really the way he explains it is agroecology absolutely love that word because it is designing ecosystems to produce agriculture, to produce things that we can actually benefit from in a very direct way, even though there are many things that we benefit from in, in ecosystems without them being necessarily agriculturally productive, right? And my my satisfaction of working with, with agriculture really comes comes from this idea of being able to help humanity be a constructive part of the world ecosystem. And since agriculture is one of the one of the pillars of society and it's something that absolutely determines whether a society is healthy or not, it was really easy for me to to place myself within all of that and, and my dream is is creating this connection with humans and their food source and and I started a, a business six years ago trying to do that idea and creating urban uh, edible landscapes to bring people closer to their food source. And I realized that that is working all right, but really where we need to focus on is what we're doing now with La Botica Verde in, in getting farmers access to bigger markets and incentivizing their production process so that it's as sustainable as possible and really creative in finding the solutions that, that we are seeing that there are um, problems too. Mm, amazing. Uh, great answers, guys. Um, Michelle, I love like how, how honest you are about not coming from an agriculture background at all. And I like from knowing you personally, I really admire how um, 
how brave you were in in taking those first steps and following your interest and your passion and and kind of planting that seed as you say you know and uh Julie, whoa, your your background is amazing. You know, I know from having worked with you personally, all the kind of knowledge and, and passion you have, and it really comes through there. So what I want to get to know is um what what was the idea behind behind starting this business venture that you're in now? Because obviously it wasn't just about making money. Um no, it de- that definitely wasn't our our main goal is starting the business. I mean, uh, Julie and I became friends a, a couple of years ago, and, and it really happened very organically. <laughs> um, we were just talking about the state of the world, and, and obviously I'm engaged with smallholders uh, in a different way than, than Julie was, but we both were seeing a lot of the problems that were created by conventional agricultural systems and their impacts on the environment and the impact on people's health. And so just in, in discussing kind of the state of the world as it is today and, and all the problems that, that we can see with the way that um, our food is currently produced, we saw also a big opportunity to get involved um, by working together. So leveraging my, my skills in business and her skills in production and helping smallholders get connected to local markets and um, the way that we were doing or that we are actually doing that with La Botica Verde is by um, using e-commerce and being able to deliver organic produce that's grown locally and connecting smallholders to local markets. So that's a little bit of like an introduction of what the company does. Yeah. What, is the, what does the name mean for our non-Spanglish uh, speakers? By the way, Julie and Michelle are Guatemalan, despite what their English may sound like. Um, so yeah, can you explain what the name means? Yeah, definitely. La Botica Verde. La Botica Verde. It's, it's three words. Uh, botica is an old timers kind of pharmacy, and and we were, and like a little shop, you know, so something like an apothecary almost. And we were, we were interested in people creating a relationship between understanding that food means health and that through choosing items that are grown sustainably in a healthy way, in a, in a closed cycle eco- ecosystem, that they're going to be receiving nourishment, a profound sense of nourishment from their food sources. And we also wanted to help people connect to the idea of, of going back to the source, of back to how our grandparents used to be in relationship to their agriculture where they know their farmers and they value their farmers and they were part of a, an integrated community. And that's what we're trying to create with La Botica Verde, a really integrated system. Mm-hmm. This might also be a good time to add that um, the way that we describe our mission is that we put health first, the health of our clients, the health of our producers, and the health of our planet. And that is really encompassed in the word botica because... A pharmacy, typically people think of a pharmacy as somewhere where you go to get healthy. And like Julie mentioned, we want people to make that relationship between health and what you're eating. Wow, it really is such a, um, such a beautiful concept. I love it, you know, um, La Botica Verde. And yeah, it's just that simple idea of let your food be your medicine and your medicine be your food, right? Exactly. Um, one of the things I love about your your business is um, 
and you mentioned it, it's this diverse background and friendship, obviously. But, you know, Michelle, you came from more of a more of a sociology, econ- a, 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 you know, project manager, economist. And Julie, you were more of a um, more of an expert in production and agroecology. Can you like talk a little bit about the synergies between your um, that are developing as your as your business grows and maybe some of the challenges about working with somebody else, especially a friend? Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> I think the most important thing to point out here is that the benefits that we each bring to the table far surpass any difficulties of having to ask other another person for guidance or having to ask another person for permission or for their input, you know? And and I think my personality is very very is very I'm very driven and I like to get things done quickly quickly and and uh, I've been working with myself for the last I mean I have a team but I'm the, basically the person who gets to call the shots you know and and it's really nice for me to be, to be like okay I have this idea and I'm going to execute it and I'm going to execute it to the best of my capacities which are these and these and this and then I just go ahead and, and get it done you know and um, and I, I think that maybe that's in part because I work so closely with agriculture and like if you put something in, you're going to get something out, you know, and it's kind of that, that idea of, of seeing a, a progression. And um, whereas now that we're, we're, well, we have a business together, right? So we, we both have to really pay attention to what the other person can give you and can bring to the table and all the assets that that person can also give. And so we actually had a conversation about this today in the morning, <laughs> And how um, Michelle has this brilliant mind and this brilliant capacity for understanding how systems work and for creating um, processes that we can follow to create excellence within our company, which is something that I don't have or am learning now thanks to her and thanks to some accelerators I've done before. But the fact that she has this analytical mind and that she can see create a projection for us in the big picture is something so valuable for the company. And our company would simply not work if we didn't have that. It would just, it would, you know, it would be a fireball. It would be burned bright and then die off because it, it needs that follow through that, that an analytical mind with business acumen can give to you. Well, Julie is also being very humble, right? About <laughs> talking what I bring to the business, but really this business would not be able to work without her because the connections that, that Julie has made with smallholders, the follow-up that she does in the field with them, all the technical assistance that she provides. I mean, smallholders, the, the ones that we're working with right now, a lot of them are currently growing organically, but they don't know about standards. They don't know about quality or consistency or volume, which were, are the, some of the things that you need to get to market. And if she wasn't working so closely with them and all of our sourcing branch of the company, we wouldn't have a product to sell. So she's definitely selling her sh- herself short there. Like um, this would not be possible without her. And I, I, I think like, it takes yeah, both of us, you know? it takes both of us. And, uh, and, and I think something really beautiful is that a business partnership is a lot like, uh, like a love interest or a love partnership with someone else in that you have to be honest with the person and you have to admire and respect the other person. And if those three things are there, then you really get like a, a beautiful relationship and 
and partnership out of it. Wow, that's so beautiful, Michelle. Um, and uh, yeah, I th- I think what really comes through from both those answers is that this is um, a symbiosis, right? You're both working together. You're far greater than than the sum of your parts, um, which incidentally are are you're also forces of nature on your own. So together, I'm I'm really excited to see what you're going to get done. Um, so. Michelle, I want to go back to something uh, that you mentioned briefly there, or actually that Julie mentioned about you, which is your kind of uh, your your savviness, uh, economically speaking. And I almost feel like there's this little bit of uh, a, like a, a, a choke, you know, like a, a clash between people who are business minded and maybe people who identify as permaculturalists. It's almost like money has this like bad name. Um, and you know, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the importance of economic sustainability within uh, ecologically minded projects, because I feel like there's a little bit of within the permaculture community, this idea that um, profit is bad or, um, you know, or at least just this general kind of discomfort with uh, with the business world where it's seen as like, you know, business are the bad guys and the polluters and, you know, the permaculturalists live without money and all the rest of it. So I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about that. Definitely. Well, for starters, I should say that we don't call ourselves just a business. Like we call ourselves a social business. Um, and maybe that's like a very trendy word to use now, but we really live and breathe the triple bottom line. And the triple bottom line means caring about more than profit maximization. You care about the environment, you care about society, uh, and you care about making it financially sustainable. And having defined that, I would also say that I have a very sober view of money. Like I think that money is just what people like the way that we value things in our society. So I don't think money in itself is evil in any way, you know, and and I don't think that we should think of all business as something evil. I think that it can have a negative consequence if um, you do things solely for profit maximization or if the product itself doesn't contribute in some way to our society, like in a positive way or if it doesn't contribute positively to our environment, then I definitely think that it can be negative. But really a business, what it, what it is at, at its essence is a way for you to create value in society. And money is just the way that people say, yes, I value what you're, what you are offering, you know? Um, so I definitely don't think that the two are, are mutually exclusive. I, I definitely think that there is a lot of, uh, like you said, symbiosis, I think that's a great word. You know, there's there's a lot of opportunity for marrying the two things because ultimately I want people to, to value organic food. I want people to value the way that that food is grown, you know, and I, I want the people who grow that food to have access to a better quality of life. And I don't think that there's anything negative in in doing it in that way, you know, especially if you're paying attention to all the externalities and um, the impact that it's having both in the environment and um, on your own on our society yeah it the, the word externalities is such an interesting one in economics uh, so so many actually really important things get relegated to um, unimportant externalities right 
exactly. But things, if you really positive impact in the world, regardless of the industry or, or the sector that you're working in, you have to measure your impact. You know, you need to have metrics and you need to know, okay, like if our goal is to reduce waste, because we're also, we also have a zero waste commitment and we try to reduce all the trash that's created throughout the value chain. So we work with our producers to not use plastic, not use styrofoam. We have a returnables program so that people can return the packaging, the little packaging that we do use. And we also, the packaging that we do use, which is again, very, very little is um, a lot of it is biodegradable. You know, I think it's important to say, okay, if we have a zero waste commitment in our company, how are we actually measuring whether or not we are having that positive impact that we want to see in trash reduction? So if you don't measure your, your, um, your activities, you don't actually know what those externalities are. So a lot of people are doing things thinking that they're having a positive impact, but it's not until you measure that impact that you really know if, if you're having the, the, the impact that you want to have, you know? Yeah, it's, it is. It's so interesting. And also measuring the impact. The impact doesn't have to be negative, right? We can also, as farmers, as designers, as people, have a positive impact. Um, but we're also that's important to, to measure in some extent. I know it's something you often push me to do to, like you know, measure the amount of topsoil that's on my land this year with how much is going to be there next year or the how much the groundwater table is coming up every year. Um, you know, and I never listen to you because I'm, I'm too lazy, but I actually do agree with you. <laughs> well, it's hard. It's hard, you know. It's easier said than done. I mean, totally, for us, it's, totally. it's really hard. You know, we would have to measure how many tons of plastic are typically created for someone who goes to the supermarket versus someone who gets one of our zero waste boxes yeah it yeah it's it's so interesting so um i have another question um michelle i think it was you that but you both alluded to it this idea that guatemala is this extraordinary country it has gold in the hills and um and and minerals and 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 all kinds of natural resources loads of water amazing biodiversity black volcanic soils um so if i'm from if i don't know anything about this kind of stuff i look at this place and i see some of the rare examples of where the land is being treated well and i see paradise and i say well why is this place not the most amazing place in the world why is it not the richest country in the world instead of being one of the poorest um julie i want you to maybe given your lens as an agroecologist could you just maybe give your take on some of those somewhat kind of like baffling sort of questions when you look at these things for the first time this is a subject that that pertains to history economics um globalization and it, it far exceeds the scope that I am capable of explaining. What I can tell you is that the, the people, there's, there's many different sectors that are dealing in agriculture in, in Guatemala. The, there's sectors that produce monoculture for export. There's, there's a small producers of subsistence living uh, agriculture methods. There's been a lot of, of bad information that's been spread out and given through through different stakeholders in, in all the all the previous political agendas that have 
run through the country. And, and all these things, these really vast monopolies and these vast <laughs> corporate systems are, are the reason why, are a huge reason why we're where we are right now as a country. I think that there was a lot of valuable information in how the original indigenous people managed their lands in terms of, of even things that nowadays we think is something negative, which was burning, for example. But within the system that they managed, it actually did make sense and they never damaged the soils. And, and it, it, it actually took me studying that in California to understand why it did work back in the day, you know, but obviously their rotation systems were, were month long rotation systems where they wouldn't, or year long rotation systems where they wouldn't go back to that site for, you know, five years and they burned, they, they actually left the, the top of the soil protected by a cushion of, of moist organic matter from leaves and small branches. And so what they burned was really the, the thicker material that replenished the potassium in their soils. And, and when we think about how there's amazing systems that were already in place and we look at the systems now, you know, hillsides with, with absolute zero management for soil and water. There's no conservation of forests, but it's not that the people don't want it. It's first of all that they've been brainwashed. To, to thinking that that's their only alternative or to think that they need, or at this point they really do need fertilizer. Soils are so eroded that, that they, they need to put fertilizer in because that's what they've been taught to do and that's what they've been brainwashed to do instead of doing swales and building soil and, and also a lot of the land isn't theirs anymore, you know. There has been a huge loss of land to the indigenous community for tons of different reasons, like very political and, and historic reasons. And at this point, many people don't have access to their own plot of land and they, they rent it. So if you're going to invest hundreds of hours of time in creating a system that, that's sustainable and that replenishes your soil, and next year you're going to have to lose that piece of land and go to a different property, why would you invest in that land, you know? Why would you invest in that land instead of just putting fertilizers? Well, obviously, it's, it's a it's a very intense question because ideally, if we live in a, enough of a sense of community, we know that that land's also going to benefit someone else next year and that maybe they'll also take care of it. And if we all started to managing our, our land sustainably, then we'd all benefit in the long term. But we're not at that level socially yet, you know? I, I, in 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 the world we're not at that level anywhere in the world where we can really understand ourselves as a hype everything i do can benefit someone else even if it's not benefiting me immediately um we can talk about this for forever you know and, and that's please, just kind of please do. The surface but <laughs> but i think um, no. that sorry continue that that can kind of answers your your first questions you know but but I mean, talking about externalities, one of the reasons why why I think there is a huge problem in Guatemala in terms of agriculture is because 
we've allowed corporations to externalize their damage in the ecology of the of the whole country. You know, we don't measure, for example, we don't. Ex- the government doesn't even have the capacity to follow through with the laws that do exist, so that people protect the water sources that we have. So 96% of our rivers are completely polluted. You know, the government allows companies to to plant into the mangroves because it means a better bottom line. And those kind of problems are, are common, too common. Uh, they have incredible impacts on the people who are trying to do agriculture in the proper way. We just had a really sad situation with one of our producers where we're possibly not going to be able to buy from them because the people around them are contaminating them by spraying with with airplanes, light aircraft. So the producer is phenomenal. She's She is treating her her cattle in such an amazing way. She's creating this silver silver silvopastural pasture. system that's Phenomenal, yeah, so pastoral system that's phenomenal, so intelligent. And yet, since we have a promise to our clients to only sell and and manage items that are organic and sustainably harvested and are safe to eat, we can't buy from her. Not because her processes aren't fantastic, but because people around her have been allowed to externalize their costs and their impacts and that's negatively affecting the, the, everyone that's affecting them that's affecting us uh, that's affecting producers and we're not even aware of it so many people are not even aware of what that means yet you know? right and i mean that's the thing it's like if you i i, I admit i deliberately threw you a curveball there and asked you a ridiculously hard question to answer <laughs> be, only because i knew you'd do a great job um and also Partly, I wanted to highlight just how complex these issues are and just how multifaceted they are. Um, and what I wanted to ask you guys is, like, based on the, the complexity of all these issues, do you see a sort of a rising levels of awareness um, of these things among your, your clientele, among the people you're interacting with there in the around Antigua and Guatemala City? Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Without question. There, there is and there will continue to be that trend and we've seen it worldwide. And for many people here, it's, it starts off as a fad, but then they really understand what, how profoundly well it influences their life, you know, how it makes everything in their life so much better to be aware and to be connected and to be eating healthy things that, that nourish them. And, and not only, not only that, but even in, in engaging themselves enough to what's happening in the world to give themselves the responsibility to take action. Yeah, it's so interesting. I've, I, I've seen that before with, um, with people who start into the organic food movement as a fad, and it, 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 but it's just, you know, those first steps, you know, maybe getting at your own garden, starting to interact with nature, and it, it really takes people in some spectacular directions. You know, Neil, I tell people this all the time, but I think that in the future, we're not even going to have to make a choice between conventional and organic. Like, that's how much I think that this movement is growing. And, and I see the trend, you know, there's global demand increasing in Europe, in the States, 
in other countries around the world for organic food. So basically what we're seeing right now is a bubble for organic food, but that's not going to be like that for much longer. You know, in the future, if you go to a supermarket, everything that's going to be in the market is going to be organic. So I definitely, definitely agree with Julie that, that it's growing and it will continue to grow. Um, and so with that in mind, given that you're, you guys are like uh, on and contributing to what we hope is going to be a major wave in Guatemala, what are some of the um, directions you want to take um, La Botica Verde in? That's a good question. <laughs> you want me to answer it? Or do you? Well, I think we can we can both answer it. You know, in the big big picture, we'd like to position ourselves as the main distributor for organic produce that's that has a follow up with their producers that actually connects the client and the producer, and that allows the the producers their own creativity in in designing their landscapes and their ecosystems. Um, within within the market values you know and i mean that's the big picture right? i see us moving across the region you know going into nicaragua and salvador and and um, maybe even mexico and that's i mean that's my dream is to change this substantially enough that it that it actually has sway in the future development of the country kind i think of the like- interesting thing right now yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say kind of like uh, create a tipping point almost, right? Contribute to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing is that there are already a ton of organic producers in the region. And like I mentioned before, there is growing demand locally. And right now, the, the perception is that even to grow organic you need to export whereas what we're trying to prove is that there, there is enough local demand in the region um, that suppliers could tap into and not not big suppliers like smallholders and medium-sized farms can also have access to these markets locally so we definitely think that there that there's a big opportunity in the region to connect more of these uh, organic producers with local demand. And then what about um, what about this issue? Because for me, it is an issue because I also work as a sort of agricultural consultant and I travel all around the world. And what it, it occurs to me that like real regenerative agriculture, not just using organic compost instead of fertilizer, it's quite a knowledge intensive system. If it's done well, it's actually not that labor intensive. Um, and that's what good design can do. But... In terms of um, supporting and growing your your net your your ring of producers and building capacity, um, do you have any ideas or any plans in that area? Absolutely, that's the that's really an essential part of the business. Is that we want to, and we said this since the very beginning of our of developing our business, that we want to be beyond organic, and we don't want to just you know, check a list of what does organic mean and just satisfy that. No, we want to go far beyond that. So we are working with producers really closely in in helping them design their their land to have the diversity that it needs to have, to have the rotation systems it has to have. And obviously this is a work in progress. And I mean, from from how we started to where we are now, I say that I'd say that there is movement. It, it has been a huge effort and 
and it's not at all going to be immediate. But I think that in the in the extent that they see that their value that their work is valued, that it's being economically valued, and that they have some or many songs, you know, part of our dream is that it's not just about me; it's about putting all our producers together and having a network and a dialogue where each person can say like, oh, like this has worked really well for me. Like this strategy has worked well with me in this region. You know, like how has that been for you? How can we work together and collaborate to, to keep increasing this, this set of, of options that we have as producers? Yeah, because hopefully the same ripple effect that can be created in consumers can also be created in producers, right? When people start to see, oh, wow, it's cheaper and less effort to grow ecologically, um, just the same way as the consumers start to have these realizations and, and, and tipping points start to happen, right? Right, exactly. There, There is a tipping point. And I think that that interestingly enough, it's not about having the information, it's about having the market. Because I can go to all the producers and show them and explain permaculture principles and agroecology and and take them to ugly, dirty rivers and monocultures of of cane and be like, see, like this is how the world's getting ruined. But that's not going to make them or even allow them to change if there isn't a market behind it, you know, and that's why it really takes each of us, like you guys, us, absolutely anyone listening to this podcast, to find the niche that they're in, where they can influence, where they can change the world and create a system that's that's sustainable in the three ways that Michelle stated before, you know, it has to have the market. Otherwise, you can talk to death about it and it's not going to really create a change because at the end of the day, people right now in the system that we've created as a society, we do need money to exchange goods and that may change i hope it does change in the future where each person can just do what they love and and somehow it all pans out you know but where we are now we do need that market value and yeah, each, each, yeah. entrepreneur, each entrepreneur produces that market value yeah i think maybe to add a little bit to that i i i see it a lot as incentives and without the right incentive, which is exactly what Julie is explaining, you can talk to someone and explain all the benefits, but people need to feel like it's something that is in their interest as well, you know. And it's the same thing with natives, for example. Like we in Guatemala, we have amazing native nutritional foods, you know. We have superfoods here, so it really makes no, no sense why we're importing superfoods. Um, but it's it's the same thing. Like if there is no market that wants to buy those things, farmers don't see an interest in continuing to grow them. So a big part of the work that we're doing right now is trying to promote native nutritional foods so that we can prove that there are enough people out there who want them and then farmers will want to continue growing them. Yeah. Great stuff. Um, all right, listen, I could uh, I could stay here talking to you guys all day, but um, unfortunately, I think I'm running out of time. So um, what I'd like to finish up with is maybe how people who've heard this can find out more about you guys, how they can get in touch, support, um, you know, where, where can people find out more information about you guys and what you're doing? So we are on, on social media. You can find us uh, using at La Botica Verde. 
And um, you can write us to our email. We are Botica Verde GT. That's short for Guatemala at gmail.com. Uh, we also have a website. Since I mentioned we're in um, a virtual store, we have an e-commerce site. It's www.botica-verde.com. Um, yeah, feel free to send us a message if you have any questions or would just like to chat. Yeah, we'd love, love to hear about other people's experiences with, with similar subjects and, and being able to collaborate and learn from each other. Wonderful, wonderful. All right, guys, it's been amazing talking to you. Um, your your passion and your and your knowledge and, and intelligence just always blows me away. Um, okay, guys, great stuff, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Neil. Have a day. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles as well as the services we offer from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to take a look at the courses and workshops that we offer, which are all designed to empower you to take back control of your life by giving you the skills to produce your own food, manage landscapes regeneratively, build your own homes and structures with natural materials, and most importantly, to dream ever bigger about the highest potential that you could achieve for yourself, your community, and the planet that we all share. Thank you sincerely to all of you who have and continue to add comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at AbundantEdge.com or you can post your questions directly to the Abundant Edge podcast Facebook page to which there's a link in the show notes of this episode. All of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you again in next week's session.